This coming week is Parsha Zachar, then Purim. We're going to study tonight a series of four tshuvas in the Sefer of Rab Yitzchak Nisim, Yayin Hatov. These tshuvas were written in 1960 or so, Tav Shin and they, they concern some of the parameters of Mechias Amalek, the mitzvah to destroy Amalek, and its application in contemporary times. We discussed, last year around this time, we discussed a classic tshuva of Rav Yaakov Emden, who discusses whether, he's not discussing the mitzvah to destroy Amalek, he's discussing the, the prohibition against marrying the descendants of Esav, until the third generation, you can't, marry a, you can't marry a convert from the nation of Edom. And he discusses whether that applies to contemporary Italians, contemporary 18th century Italians. He discusses the identification of Chazal, of biblical Edom, with rabbinic Rome. And once we accept that identification, he then goes from the Rome of rabbinic period to the Italy of his period, and argues that the Italians of his time, and our time presumably, are considered Edom. Not necessarily Amalek, but Edom. At the time, we discussed, we touched briefly on the question that there are various rumors, various traditions that identify Amalek with Germany. So that's what we're going to focus partly on tonight. Some of the, some of the perspectives on this question of whether contemporary Germany, mid-20th century Germany, is identified with Amalek in a halachic sense, and uh, some general discussion about the parameters of the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek to destroy Amalek as it applies in contemporary times. So as I said, these four tshuvas are in the Sefer of Rabbi Yitzchak Nisim, the Yayin Hatov. First he has his own treatment of the question, and then he brings tshuvas of three other Gidoli Torah, his contemporaries, one is from Rabbi Shlomo Shemshon Karelitz, a very distinguished Dayan, a uh, relative of the Chazonish. One from Rabbi Ezra Batsri, a very, another very distinguished Dayan, Svardik Talmud Chacham. And the third is from Rabbi Chaim Ozer Katz, a descendant, a grandson of Rabbi Reuven Katz, a, a distinguished uh, Mizrahi Rav. So first, going through Rav, taking a look at uh, Rav Nisim's tshuva itself, the question is, is Germany considered Amalek? Is it, is it Amalek in the sense of the mitzvah of the Torah to destroy Amalek, to destroy Zecher Amalek, Zecher Amalek? Is this mitzvah, the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek, does it apply in contemporary times? He says this was an actual question in some form that he got from an Israeli citizen, he says, Ezra Israeli, <clears throat> what is the din of Germany according to Halacha? Does Germany have the status of Amalek that we are commanded to destroy? And is this mitzvah Mechias Amalek? Does it still apply in contemporary times? And, or, and that was the question he says he was asked. So he discusses some of the basic parameters of the, of the mitzvahs, of the, the mitzvahs in the Torah regarding Edom, regarding, regarding, regarding Mitzrayim, regarding Amalek. And then he says as follows, dealing with the, the core question, the question of the halacha of Amalek, he says, yes, there is a unique mitzvah with regard to Amalek. We are commanded to eradicate them. However, he says, there is no basis for including other nations, even terrible nations like Germany, there is no basis for including other nations in the, in the commandment to destroy Amalek. Then he says, M.S. Shereisi, there is a famous tradition in various forms 
attributed to various members of the Salavechik dynasty, in one form to Rav Chaim Salavechik, in another form to Rav Yashaber Salavechik, in the name of his father, Rav Moshe Salavechik. There are various versions of this tradition to various members of the Salavechik family that, that they did feel that Amalek, that modern Germany is considered Amalek, and according to at least some versions, they actually meant it in a halachic sense, not in some kind of hashkafic, symbolic sense, but they actually meant it in a halachic sense. Rav Nisim says that he saw in the name of Rav Chaim, he doesn't say where he saw, but he says he saw in the name of Rav Chaim that the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek is lav dafka ba'am Amalek, is not simply, in the, not simply the nation, the racial, literal, genealogical descendants of Amalek, ela kol uma shalgayim, any Gentile nation, that behaves like Amalek, she'osim ma'ase Amalek, yeshbo mitzvah zu, the mitzvah applies to them, Rav Nisim rejects this idea. He says, lo matzah there is no basis in halacha for such an extension of the mitzvah. He says, uh, maybe Rav Chaim is saying this on his own, is extending the mitzvah to, uh, to, to include Germany, but it's, he says, he says it's, it's problematic, he, he's, he's medayek as, other Akronim also, then their Medayek from language of the Rambam and the Chinuch, they keep reiterating that the mitzvah of Amalek is a is to literal genealogical descendants of Amalek, Zera Amalek Bolvad, Mishar Zera Esav, Chinuch says, Mizaram, you have to find someone who is a descendant of Amalek for the mitzvah to apply, and the and so on. And therefore Amnisim concludes that the that Modern Germany is not a Malek in a halachic sense, and the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek does not apply to modern Germany. It's actually very ironic, as we'll see through the other tshuvas we go through, it's actually very ironic that it's the, the, the Salavechiks who are said to have said this. It's, in a certain sense, it's the opposite of their approach to Torah in general. They are, they're very rigorous, they're very insistent on the precise use of terminology, on formal and uh, intellectually rigorous categorizations, but the in in this instance they, they, there there was apparently a, a widespread tradition. Again, there's some debate about it, as we'll see tonight. Some of the several of the Akronim we're going to see tonight reject this. They say it's it's impossible. Rav Chaim would never have said such a wild and non-rigorous thing. But nevertheless, that 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 is what uh, that's what Rav Chaim is said to have said. Rav Rav Nisim himself finds this uh, finds this dubious. He finds it uh, you know, wild and without real basis in halacha, and he he rejects it. He says he is he is not happy with this. There, as we'll see, there were several other Akronim who also rejected this. Although there are some who defend it. One uh, one follower of the Salavechiks who does apparently accept it and does take it very seriously is Rav Herschel Schechter. Rav Herschel Schechter writes about this in, his, uh, in, in some of his farm in Nefesh Arav. He, uh, he, he, says, he says, for example, that there was a great debate uh, after the creation of the state. There was a debate about accepting reparations from Germany. Different uh, people, people held very different opinions on that, as you can imagine. So Rav Schechter said that Rav Salavechik was Darish Barabin. He was opposed to accepting reparations. And he said that first of all, we don't want them to uh, we, we don't want them to feel that they've been in any way they've been in any way exonerated and exculpated for their unspeakable crimes. And secondly, he says a halachic reason: Medina le Germanim yesh Malek. Germans have the din of Amalek. We're not allowed to accept anything from them. 
and uh, as a halachic matter, that, uh, that, that, the, that, that the coin to Rav Shechter, of Salavechik held, that it, it's a halacha, it's a, uh, that, that it's a halacha, that, that this comes, he said, Rav Salavechik said it comes from his father of Moshe, Nazis have the din of Amalek, and he said people mistakenly attribute it to Rav Chaim, it's not Rav Chaim, it, it was his father who said this, and, uh, and so on. And uh, any nation, any another formulation, any nation that plots to uh, to destroy, to commit genocide against Klal Yisrael, it turns al piha halacha as a matter of halacha. It becomes transformed into a malik, and it has the status of a malik. Again, some have suggested that Rav himself, who said this and repeatedly meant this in a more uh, in a more hashkafic fashion, but there were others who insisted that he meant this in a he meant this in a halachic sense that the that, that, that they bring from Ramosha David Tendler, Ramosha's son-in-law, Talmud of Rav Salvechik, who said, who insisted, he insisted emphatically, what Rav Salvechik said about Amalek, about Germany being Amalek, it was not Derek Drush, it was Lahalacha. So some understand that Rav Salvechik held it Lahalacha, some suggest maybe he didn't mean it Lahalacha, but some attributed this to Rav Chaim, and others, as we'll see tonight, others have rejected this out of hand as a Halachic point. Rav Nisim, the first one we're seeing tonight, Rav Nisim held, as a halachic matter, it is untenable. Amalek refers, Amalek in the halacha refers to actual genealogical descendants of Amalek. It cannot be applied to other nations, no matter how monstrous their crimes are against Jews. So that's the first tshuva. Then, Sir Nisim prints his tshuva in his sefer. Then he says that he received a tshuva from Rav Shlomo Shimshon Karelitz, the av based in the Petach Tikva. He introduces it, he says that at the time he was studying this question, he was visited at his home by Rav Karelitz, and they discussed the halacha, and then Rav Karelitz wrote him the following tshuva. Rav Shlomo Shemshin Karelitz is not as well known as some other members of his family, his illustrious, uh, illustrious uncle, the Chazanish, and Ronissan Karelitz, a more contemporary authority, but Rav Shlomo Shemshin Karelitz was a, was a tremendous and acute Talmud Chacham, a Dayan, his, his, uh, his, his rulings, I've read some of them, uh, they demonstrate a tremendous, uh, tremendous acuity, tremendous, uh, he was a tremendous Talmud Chacham, less, uh, you know, le- less of a public figure maybe than some of his other family members. So he wrote a letter to Rav Nisim as follows. And the letter, it's dated Bnei Brach, Ayin Reish Pei, which I assume stands for Erev Pesach, Tuf Shin Chaf, the year 1960. He wrote to Rav Nisim, he tells him, you know, we discussed, uh, when I was at your house, we discussed Mechias Amalek, and we discussed certain halachic points, and he says, uh, I didn't have time to focus on this question, in recent days, work, I was busy, he says, I didn't have a chance to focus on this academic question. He says, I snatched some time to study this. If Ayin Reish Pei stands for Erev Pesach, that is quite a time to snatch some free time to discuss a question that you couldn't deal with for a while because you were too busy. We found some time, I guess. Everything was done. Everything I recently heard from Rabbi Lebowitz, he said that Rabbanim, after they finished selling chametz to Arab Pesach, they all go and they rush to the barber and start taking haircuts. They're finally, they have a breather. They're done with their time-critical work that has to get done before Pesach. So maybe, as a Rav, I don't know, Arab Pesach, his, his work, his pre-Pesach work was mostly done, and then he had, he had some time to... Uh, study the question, so he studied it and wrote Rav, Rav Nisim a letter on this question. So the first part of his tshuva deals with a comment of the Hagos Nemanias and other German Rishonim of the same school, the Smag, that were mentioned briefly by Rav Nisim. 
Rav Nisim mentions a Hagos Hemonios who says that the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek does not apply in contemporary times. It will only apply Limosa Mashiach, Achar Kibush It will only apply when Mashiach comes, after the, after the after Jewish sovereignty is returned, and we have Mashiach, and we have everything back the way it's supposed to be, then we'll destroy Amalek. So Ramesim just brought that as proof that Amalek doesn't apply Bismanazet, that, that we don't practice Amalek, that, that, that we don't practice Mechias Amalek Bismanazet. But Rav Karelitz gets into an extended discussion of the various phrasings of the various German Rishonim, the Ereim, the Lazar of Metz, the Smag, the Moshe of Kutzi, the, the Hagos Emanios, all, all German Chachamim of the same school. He discusses the various conditions that they, that they formulate, whether we need a king, whether we need Mashiach, when we need the Jews returning to Eretz Yisrael. He gets into a very close reading of the various, uh, a very close reading of the various opinions on what exactly the Rishonim mean, and he, uh, and he discusses whether, what, what exactly, in an academic way, what exactly would be required for us to have the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek. Then he turns to the comments of the ostensible position of Rav Chaim. And he also, like Rav, like Rav Nisim, he is also very unhappy with this position of Rav Chaim. He says, Mashuva b'shem Rav Chaim, that I, I saw from you, that you told me Rav Chaim said this, that you showed this, that you mentioned this to me, that Rav Chaim held Mechias Amalek is not limited to the actual genealogical Amalek, but it applies to every nation that behaves like a Malik, Dvarim Tmuim Heim. These are very difficult, uh, these are, uh, this is an untenable position. He says, Levados Me'atzmenu, to create on our own, Mitzvahs Nosafos Betara, strong words, to create, uh, to create uh, a new mitzvah, a new mitzvah in the Torah. He says, it can't be, he brings also various arguments from the Rishonim, that that's not how they understood the mitzvah. He says that the bottom line is, Mitzvahs Mechias Amalek, that it only includes genealogical Amalek, not other nations, even the worst ones. Certainly, he says, we can kill them, either because they, they, they deserve to be punished as murderers, or because they pose, uh, they pose a danger, preemptive self-defense, and so on. But uh, not because they behave like Amalek. Behavior, behavior, behaving like Amalek does not, does not suffice to put you into the category of Amalek, and therefore he rejects this whole idea also. Furthermore, he says, what do you even mean when you say they're osem mase amalek, they behave like amalek? What does that mean? What, what does behave like amalek mean? If you mean that they, they kill Jews, that they hate Jews and they kill Jews? He says lots of, lots, of, lots of Gentiles over the centuries have hated Jews and killed Jews. That's not a unique feature of amalek. For whatever reason, the Torah, the Torah made a special halacha with regard to amalek. How do you know to generalize? How, how can you generalize? The halacha Esav Sonia Yaakov. Lots of non-Jews hate Yaakov. So, that, so that's not... That's not unique to Amalek. That's not the, the, unique, the unique aspect of Amalek, he says. Many non-Jews have done that. So, he says, There is no way to defend such a position as has been attributed to Rav Chaim. He says, this is not a reliable tradition. Rav Chaim himself didn't write this in one of his published works or something under his own name. So he doesn't believe it, he's not willing to accept it, it can't be, it doesn't make sense. And his key objection, he says, his key objection is, We have no right to invent new mitzvahs. The Torah said Amalek, it meant Amalek. We don't like Germans, we don't like Nazis, that's fine, he says, but, uh, but to make them Amalek is simply not Darkashal Torah. That's called inventing your own mitzvahs. 
and therefore he vehemently rejects this, this idea attributed to Rav Chaim, and he doesn't believe Rav Chaim actually said this. This is the position of Rav Shlomo Shimshon Kareltz. Third tshuva we'll look at tonight is by Rav Ezra Batri. Rav Ezra Batri was another Dayan, like Rav Nisim A. Sfardi, not, uh, not an Ashkenazi, but uh, he, he was a very distinguished Dayan, an expert on Dine Mominus. He actually literally wrote the book on Dine Mominus. His classic Sefer, for which he won, I believe, the Israel Prize, was the four-volume Dine Mominus, a tremendously erudite encyclopedia of uh, Jewish civil law, of Chosh and Mishpat. But he was also, as we'll see in this tshuva, he was also a, a general halachist, and, a, and he, even, he even has a Kabbalistic section to this tshuva. So he wrote to Rav Nisim as well. He says, he also apparently discussed the matter with Rav Nisim, we were discussing this topic together. By this time, apparently, Rav Nisim had already received Rav Karelitz's tshuva, so he showed Rav Karelitz's tshuva to Rav Batsri, and says, Rav Batsri, Raisi, Shiesh Lama Dalchelech Midvarov. There is, uh, there are certain things that Rav Karelitz writes in his tshuva, which I think are worth challenging. So first, also, he gets into a long discussion on how to understand the Hagos Amanias and the Smag and the German Rishonim, and discusses again the parameters of what conditions have to apply for the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek to apply. Then he discusses the question of the position attributed to Rav Chaim. It's noteworthy, by the way, that I grew up in the American Litvish Yeshiva world, so Rav Chaim, to us, of course, was Rav Chaim Salvechik. He was a legend, and he's a legend in the yeshiva tradition. As I got older, I, I began to become aware that the yeshiva tradition is just you know, one, uh, one subset of, of Torah, one subset of Judaism. And I realized that there are a lot of things you take for granted, people and ideas that you think are canonical, but to other cultures might uh, not, not be quite as central to other subcultures of Judaism, might not be quite as central as they are to you. So someone like Rav Chaim, I wouldn't necessarily know how he was viewed by, by Sfardim, by, by other groups who are not of the American yeshiva tradition. But apparently even some even leading Israeli Sfardim like Rav Yitzchak Nisim or Ezra Batsri just refer to Hagrach, Hagon Rav Chaim, first name is all that's necessary. Everyone knows who Hagon Rav Chaim is. There is only one. Rav Chaim is Rav Chaim Salavechik and... Uh, He's the Gadol Merab and Shmo, so to speak. Everyone knows who, who Hagrach is. So, Rabatri defends Rav Chaim against the challenges of Rav Karelitz. Rav Karelitz was an Ashkenazi, but the Rabatri is going to defend Rav Chaim against the sharp criticism of, of the position attributed to him by Rav Karelitz. Rav Karelitz had written, She'ein kium ludvarmam yuchasim lagrach that what's, what Rav Chaim ostensibly said is completely untenable, is, uh, is a halachic, it just doesn't make any sense in, in, in using halachic uh, reasoning, says Rav Batsri, no, I think we can uh, somewhat justify, we can somewhat defend Rav Chaim. Now Rav Batsri says, I can see that it's not what the Rambam is mashma, the Rambam clearly indicates that we need genealogical amalek for the mitzvah to apply, as Rav Karel had said, so I do agree with you that this is not what the Rishonim seem to hold. However, he says, to rule it out entirely, to, to, to make a kind of categorical and theological absolutist objections, that this is not Torah, that we have no right to invent mitzvahs, that he thinks he's going a little bit too far. We can defend Rav Chaim against that charge. How so? So he says, it's certainly true. It's certainly true, the Gemara says, a Navi can't invent new mitzvahs, we have no right to invent new mitzvahs, no matter how ethical and logical 
we might think something is, we can't just invent a new Torah. The, the Christians have a New Testament. We, we only have one. We, only, we have two. We have Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat We don't have any new Torahs. We have, uh, we have one Torah from Sinai, two Torahs from Sinai. But you know, we don't have new mitzvahs and a new Torah. It's one of the Rambam's principles of faith, that, uh, based on the Gemaras, that the, the Torah does not change. The Torah does not get new mitzvahs. However, says Rabatsri, that's all true. I certainly agree with you. However, it's not what Rav Chaim is doing. Hagrach lo levados mitzvahs nosafos. Rav Chaim was not coming to add a new mitzvah. He wasn't coming to say, I think, I, Rav Chaim, if I would give the law, I would make a mitzvah to destroy a malik. Ela shirotzelafarish betok mitzvah suv b'torah. He was merely explaining what the Torah meant when it said Amalek. Rav Chaim understood that genealogical Amalek is just one particular example of what the Torah meant. Just like, for example, when, when, when the Torah talks about animals. The Torah tells you certain halachas when you find an, find an animal, a Shavasaveda, other halachas about Shomrim and Parshat Mishpatim that apply to animals. So we understand that the halacha is not limited to animals. The Gemara makes drushes sometimes, formal drushes to extend it to other types of property. That's not called making up a new mitzvah. The Torah said, ah, so we're extending it to a kangaroo. That's not called a new mitzvah. That's called generalizing. That's called, the Torah gave a concrete example, and we're extending and generalizing, we're abstracting away what the Torah meant by, by the mitzvah, and we're explaining the parameters. Says Reb that's what Rav Chaim was doing. Rav Chaim was not saying there's a new mitzvah of destroying a malik, of destroying Germany. Rav Chaim was saying when the Torah said destroy a malik, that has to be understood in a more general sense than the specific narrow category of genealogical Amalek. And Rav Chaim understood what the Torah meant was any, any nation that is Ose, Masi Amalek, that behaves like Amalek, is called Amalek for these purposes. Now, what, certainly a Chiddush Gadol, it's certainly a great Chiddush to uh, generalize like that, but it's not untenable. It is plausible. Now, Rav Karelot had objected, what does it even mean, Ose, Masi Amalek? Lots of nations... Uh, did terrible, murderous things to Jews. Does that mean they're all Amalek for these purposes? So, so Rav Batri says something very interesting. He brings from the Sefer Yad Yosef of Rav Yosef Tzarfati. That was an early 17th century work by a Turkish Chacham named Rabbi Yosef Tzarfati. So he explains as follows. He says, what is unique about Amalek? You know, the, the, lots of nations attack the Jews. Lots of nations wage war against the Jews. Mitzrayim. Other nations in history wage war against Jews, and we don't find the Torah ever gave such a mitzvah of destroy them wherever they are. We never find such a thing except for Amalek. What is unique about Amalek? So Rabbi Yosef Sarfati says, the mission of us talks about Ava Shaina Tluya Bedavar, the Ava Hatluya Bedavar, Batla Hadavar, Batla Ava, Ava Shaina Tluya Bedavar is that the Ava's Kemes Laolam, and the reverse applies to Sinna. That, that Sina, Rabbi Yosef Sarfati explains, Eva and Sina, which are Tluya Bedavar, which are founded on something, which have, there's a reason for the hate, a basis for the hate, is not as bad, it's not permanent. When the conditions change, when the, the, when the root cause is, uh, is treated, when the root cause is altered, the hatred will go away also. So the hatred is not as absolute and uh, permanent as, as it could be. But a Sina She'ena B'Tluya B'davar, a pure, irrational, rootless, just, just, a, just a, a, a baseless hatred, he said, Sinas so to speak, that is something which is Kayamas La'olam, because it's not contingent, it's not dependent on, on anything in particular, it's just a raw, raw, pure hatred, and that kind of hatred is the worst, because that kind of hatred is eternal. Says Rabbi Yosef Sarfati, and that's how we can understand the uniqueness of Amalek, that's why the Torah is so uncompromising with respect to Amalek, 
other nations. It's true, they did terrible things to the Jews. The Mitzrayim tried to commit genocide. They threw babies into the Nile. But the Mitzrayim were ultimately acting at a fair. As it says in Pasha Shmos, they, they said... They, they said, They were afraid of a Jewish revolt and of the Jews siding with their enemies. So the Mitzrayim might have been Rishayim, but at least their hatred was understandable and it was contingent and it wasn't as pure and absolute and as eternal as Amalek. Sichon and Og were afraid the Jews would traverse their territory and, 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 and perpetrate depredations and so on. Those weren't as bad. Amalek, Amalek had no reason whatsoever to hate the Jews. The Jews weren't going to, to harm them in any way. It was just pure, unreasonable hatred. And that's why the, that's why the mitzvah of, dest- of destroying Amalek is permanent and is uh, more so than any other nation. Returning to Rabatsri, so he says, and this is exactly the case with the Germans, he says. That's how Rav Chaim may have understood, may have understood Amalek, he says, more than any other nation. The Germans, more than any other nation that the Germans were simply hated the Jews, they had just raw, irrational anti-Semitism, he says, that's what it means to be Osa Masa Amalek. Even though, again, it's not what the Rambam indicates, the Rambam implies you have to have genealogical Amalek, but the Pshat is not totally, uh, the Pshat is not totally incorrect, the Pshat has, is defensible, he says, that, uh, that, that anyway, it's only academic, he says, it's only Drosh for Kabbal Schar, because we have to wait for Mashiach anyway, and Hashem will figure it out. Hashem will, will decide who deserves what. But in theory, as an idea, it's not an illegitimate idea, he says, even as a halakhic matter, to say that anyone who exhibits this pure, baseless hatred for the, for the Jewish people, that's what we mean by a Amalek. This is, of course, a loaded question. Which anti-Semitism is baseless and which anti-Semitism is is based on things the Jews have done. The Germans certainly would have told you all the things the Jews do. They control the world, they control banking, they manipulate nations to make wars, they're hook-nosed, and they drink the blood of, Jew- of Christian children, and so on. Again, so, you know, obviously we would respond, those are excuses, those are propaganda, that's not why they hated the Jews. It, it didn't come from an honest belief that the Jews were causing trouble. But again, everyone who hates has reasons, so how to untangle this, how to decide which nations have anti the anti-Semitism of which nations is genuine, of a genuine fear and, uh, and worry about the Jews, and which, uh, which anti-Semitism is pure, is pure, baseless, uh, essential hatred. I have no idea how you're supposed to figure that out. But that's what Rav Batsri is proposing, Rav Chaim held, that the Osem Asiyah means a nation whose anti-Semitism is not based on any actual, any actual objective uh, circumstances, that's, uh, they just hate Jews because they hate them, no further reason, that, and they kill them for that reason, that's Osimase Amalek, that's Amalek, that's Germany. Nations that kill Jews because of some, uh, because of some rational consideration, even if they're Rishayim, that's not called Osimase Amalek. So Rabatri argues that Rav Chaim's position is actually defensible based on this. Then he gets into a long discussion on Pikabala to understand what was so problematic about Amalek. And he says, he winds up, he winds up the tshuva by saying, the Yesh od We could uh, discourse on this topic further. Again, he held it was an academic question, so we, we, we don't have uh, unlimited time to discuss this. Hopefully, again, when Mashiach comes, Hashem will figure it all out. In the meantime, though, he thinks that Rechaim's position is at least defensible, if against Rishonim, then if a great Chiddush, 
but it's not uh, completely out of bounds. It's not considered inventing a new mitzvah. It is justifiable on the grounds that, uh, and the grounds where Karelitz already proposed this, that they're Osamasi Amalek. Rabatri says, yeah, they're Osamasi Amalek because they have baseless hatred, not based on anything objective. That's what Osamasi Amalek is, and it, it is uh, at least plausible to say that that's what the, the Torah meant when it said destroy Amalek. It meant destroy those who exhibit such irrational and therefore eternal hatred. One final tshuva in the Sefer Yayin HaTov is by a rabbi who I'm not familiar with, but his name is Rav Chaim Ozer Katz. He is a descendant, a grandson of Rabbi Reuven Katz. Reuven Katz was a Talmud of Rav Chaim Ozer and uh, a, leading, uh, a leading Zionist figure in Eretz Yisrael in the earlier part of the century. His grandson, Rav Chaim Ozer Katz, presumably named after his, uh, his grandfather's great rabbi, also wrote a tshuva to Rabbi Yitzhak Nisim on this question. He says, I saw the tshuvas of Rav Karelitz and Rabatsri regarding the Chiyas Amalek. I guess he showed them to him as well. And he says, so I too, I too am going to express my, express my opinion on my thoughts on this matter. Incidentally, by the way, when I was looking at the, at the Sefer Yagin HaTov of Rav Nisim, so I saw, a, uh, I, I saw a claim on the internet that someone, that, that, that someone wrote that his Sefer had a... The Sefer was, was published and was had, went through three editions. The Sefer was Zoha to a Haskama from Rabbi Yisrael Meir HaKohen of Radin, the author of the Chavetz Chaim and the Mishnah Brewer, along with other Haskamas. The Sefer has a Haskama of the Chavetz Chaim. That seemed pretty strange to me because the chronology didn't quite work out. The Chavetz Chaim died in the 30s and the Sefer was a, was a mid-20th century Sefer. So I looked into the dates a little bit. So it, it, this is a, uh, something of a distortion. The Sefer Yagin HaTov, was, uh, the first edition, was published in Tufshin Zion. That would be the year 1947. The Chavetz Chaim had passed away. The Chavetz Chaim had already passed away in Tuf Reish Tadi Gimel, which was 1933. So the Sefer was first published 14 years after the Chavetz Chaim died. So what do they mean that the Sefer has a skama from the Chavetz Chaim? So in the beginning of the Sefer, he published a letter from the Chavetz Chaim. The letter was written in Tafresh Pei Dalad, about a decade before the Chavetz Chaim passed away. Rav Nisim was quite a young man at that time. Rav, Rav Nisim was born in Nisim was born in Tafresh Nunvav in 1895. So the, and this, this is, this is Tafresh Pei Dalad, so he would have been about 28 at the time. But the, and his Sefer was certainly not published yet. The letter that he got from the Chavetz Chaim says as follows. It is not a Haskama, and it does not exactly refer to the Sefer, but what it says is as follows. He says that, that uh, you, you showed me some of your Chedushim, and you asked me for a Haskama on your Chedushim. I have looked over them briefly, and I see that you, Rav Rav Nisim, are Rav Kocho Baraisa Bacharifus Ubekiyas, you have great, uh, great strength, great skill in Torah, in Harifus, in sharpness, acuity, and Bikiyas, in, uh, in erudition. However, he says, I never give Haskamas, the Chavetz Chaim says, I'm old, and if, if I gave Haskamas, people would be badgering you all day for Haskamas, all day people would be coming to me for Haskamas from all over the place. So I have a general policy, like many Gedolim had, he refuses to give Haskamas, he says, and therefore uh, I'm not giving you Haskama, but I will... Uh, I will give you a letter in which I say that you are Rav Kocho Baraisa Becharifa Subakius. That apparently Rav Nisim asked him if he was planning on publishing a Mishnah Brewer on Yeridea. Interesting question. 
The Chavetz Chaim says, I'm not actually involved in doing this. I would like sometime to publish more of my Chedushim, he says. I published a little bit already, but that's the letter that he gives him. It wasn't actually a Haskam exactly, but the Chavetz Chaim was apparently willing to go on record as saying that he considered the 28-year-old Rav Nisim to be a uh, distinguished Talmud Chacham. So the fourth tshuva we have, getting back to the, the actual tshuvas, the fourth tshuva we have is from Rav Chaim Ozer Katz. He has the longest tshuva. He had seen the tshuvas of Rav Karelitz and Rav Batsri, and he has a lot to say. He, he goes on for pages and pages. The, the, the bulk of the tshuva is discussing, again, the German Rishonim, the Smag, the Ereim, the Gosemanios, the, the different conditions of of whether we need uh, an actual melech for, for the Mechias HaMalek, whether we need peace in Eretz Yisrael, the, we need, we need uh, the Jewish people to be concentrated in Eretz Yisrael. He has a lengthy, detailed discussion of exactly what the Rishonim mean. And then he gets into Rav Chaim. So he says, before he even brings Rav Chaim, he says that there's a difference between Amalek and Amon and Moab. Amon and Moab, we're not commanded to destroy, but we have other mitzvahs, we're commanded not to marry them. So he says there's a big difference between Amalek and Ammon and Moab in terms of how we approach these categories today. Ammon and Moab, he says, th- these, were, these were nations that lived in certain parts of the world, and as the Rambam and other Rishonim explain, as we discussed last year, that after Sancheirev came and shuffled around all the nations, we have lost track of who, who Ammon and Moab are, we don't know where they are, so the mitzvahs of Ammon and Moab practically don't apply today. They're still on the books, but they don't apply in practice. They, they have no real force because we don't have any identifiable... Amr and Moab. Amalek, he says, Amalek, he says, we can identify Amalek by their conduct, that even though, even though, even though Amr and Moab were also described as having bad midas, they didn't give the Jew, they didn't come out and welcome the Jews with bread and water, but at the end of the day, that's not a sufficient identifying characteristic for us to identify Amr and Moab, as opposed to Amalek, he says, Amalek is this, uh, has these vile, evil midas, and uh, they behave in this, uh, in this monstrous, evil way. And that itself, he says, is sufficient basis to identify a Amalek. That's why the various tshuvas here, one of the points they make in, the, in these tshuvas of the different Rabbanim is that the Rambam, when he talks about some of the nations, he says, these mitzvahs don't apply because of Adzichram, we don't know where they are anymore. When it comes to Amalek, he does not say that. He does not say that Amalek is, is, a, is, is a dead letter today because we don't know where they are. He doesn't say we do know where they are, but he, but he, but he noticeably, conspicuously omits, the, omits to say that we don't know where Amalek is. So the Akronim struggle with that. What does that mean? Is that a support for Rechaim, that Amalek is a, is, a, is a category that's broader than the genealogical Amalek? The way Rav Katz understands this is, he says, that we have this idea that when people behave like Amalek, we presume that they are Amalek. Simon HaHeker, the, the way of identifying an Amaleki, is by his uh, monstrous behavior. He says, and according to that, is there any doubt at all, he says, that the Nazis who destroyed six million Jews are, can be presumed to be from Amalek? They absolutely are. He quotes his grandfather, Abruvin Katz. He says, Ain kol Suffolk bedavar, that the German nation is the, is the ultimate, they, they have reached the pinnacle, the, the nadir, I guess, of Amaleki behavior, he says. Um, he says that the, the, they, they, they are more Amalek than Amalek itself was. They, they've reached, a, uh, they've reached a, a greater degree of perfection in Amaleki behavior, greater than the historical original Amalek itself. The murder, the, the planned and orchestrated murder of six million Jews, he says, is the, the nadir of Rishus and Sitnios. He says there's nothing worse than that. He says, uh, and the mitzvah of Machatimcha should apply to them. 
says the says of Katz, he says, we know of Nazis, we know where they are, there, there are Nazis who walk free, he says, and there would be a din of Machatimcha, of destroying them, he says. However, he already explained that the, we're missing certain conditions about, the, about, be, about being in the entire Jewish people concentrated in one place, in Eretz Yisrael, and we have to have peace and security, so for technical reasons that the Rishonim say, that the Rishonim established to apply the mitzvah Machias Amalek, he says, it, it, it may not actually apply as a mitzvah today. However, conceptually, he says, returning to Rav Chaim, he says, and that's why we can actually defend Rav Chaim. Similar to Rav Batri, but, but a very, very different defense, actually a very different defense of Rav Chaim's position. He says, based on what he said, we can defend Rav Chaim. He says that, based on what we said, that the way you identify an Amaleki, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it talks like, if it sounds like a duck, then it is a duck. If someone behaves like an Amaleki, we assume he is an Amaleki. Rav Karelitz objected and said, we can't invent new mitzvahs. Rav Chaim never meant it was a new mitzvah. It's not a new mitzvah that any, any nation that behaves like a Amalek is treated like a Amalek. No, that's not what Rav Chaim meant. What Rav Chaim meant was that it's, it's not a din chadash that any nation that behaves like a Amalek is treated like a Amalek. Ela, shekol uma ha'ose masi Amalek. Any nation that behaves like a Amalek. Zehu simana heker shala shimizera Amalek. That's a, that creates a presumption that they are a Amalek. So this is actually very different from Rabatri. Rabatri was saying, yes, Rav Chaim was generalizing the mitzvah to extend to other nations that behave like Amalek. It's a Chiddush Gadol, he says, where Rav Chaim could do that. Rav Chaim could say, when the Torah said Amalek, Amalek was just an example. The mitzvah applies to any nation that behaves like Amalek. According to Rav Katz, what Rav Chaim was saying was, no, we have the right to assume that a nation that behaves in such an Amaleki fashion, they are Amalek. They can be presumed to be actually from Amalek. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the, 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 many Rabbanim felt this, this idea attributed to the various Salavechiks was untenable. They bring, they bring for example, that Rabbi, that Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Avram Shapiro, that, that he once spoke about Machias Amalek uh, around this time of the year, but before Purim. And one of the Bachram in the share said that, uh, Rav Chaim, that they, 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 ostensibly Rav Chaim said, Amalek is a general term that includes all those who hate Israel. All anti-Semites, Blisiba, maybe like, maybe like Rabatri said, all those who, hate, all those who have irrational, uh, fundamentally baseless anti-Semitism, that it's not limited to genealogical Amalek. Rav Shapiro protested vehemently. Macha Nimratzas, he said, absolutely not. You know that he can't say this. He says he does not believe Rav Chaim said this. And he said, HaTorah Eina Simalim, V'amitzvahs Einan Simaliot. The Torah is not symbols, mitzvahs are not symbolic. When the Torah says destroy Amalek, it meant a concrete and specific nation called Amalek, the known nation of Amalek, that lived in a specific place uh, that, that, that was recognized as a specific nation among the nations. It wasn't some kind of general conceptual category of anyone who behaves really, really badly, and, and so on. And that's I, think, that's, I think, what Rav Karelitz really meant when he objected and said we can't make up a Torah Hadasha. Obviously, like I said, the examples I gave before, the Torah sometimes says an ox or a sheep, and we say it means any animal. But the, either through the Midrash Torah Nidrashis ban or for other reasons, that's true. But at some point, if you're going to generalize and abstract the Torah away to such a great extent, that is called creating Torah Hadasha at some point. Where to draw the line is tricky. For example, in the early 14th century, there was a tremendous and bitter debate one of, the, one of the episodes of the Maimonidean controversies, the Rambam had been passed away a while ago, but the controversy flared up again over his legacy in the time of the Rashba and the Rush and the Meiri, 
there was a tremendous and vehement debate between those who supported the, the, the study of philosophy, those who were the, the rationalists, those who believed in a kind of philosophical and, and uh, rationalistic approach to Torah, and the more traditional schools of thought that believed that the Torah is superior to philosophy, that, uh, that human intellect is, is, a weak, uh, is, is a weak tool for understanding the truth, and, and they had a tremendous, uh, tremendous heated controversy. One of, the key, one of the key points of contention had to do with over-allegorization of the Torah. One of the sharpest complaints and criticisms by the traditionalists of the philosophers was that they weren't being faithful to mitzvahs. They said, the Torah says... Uh, that tight filling on your head, it doesn't mean that you have to actually put a box on your head. It means you should uh, keep, put, put the words of the Torah on your heart. It doesn't mean you have to wear filling connected alev and wear them connected head. It means you should think about the, the truths of the Torah. All the mitzvahs are just, are just symbolic ideas. Even the, the biblical figures, Avram and Sarah and the Shvatim, they're, they're all ideas. They're, they're, they're symbols and allegories for philosophical concepts. And the Torah shouldn't be interpreted very literally at all. And that infuriated the traditionalists. They said, you're, at this point, you, you've, you've emptied the Torah of all its concrete meaning by saying you can simply interpret all of it as allegories. That, that's, that, that's being covered by Torah. At that point, you, you're not, uh, this is not Judaism anymore. And he, even, the, even the, those who defended philosophy, they, they agreed with that. They said, of course, we would never do that. It's true, sometimes we, we explain that there were certain allegories in the mitzvahs, but chas v'shalom, we would never deny that the mitzvahs are binding in their literal sense, and chas v'shalom, we would never deny that there were such people as Avram and Sarah and the Shvatim and so on. And that's, I think, what's going on here to some extent also. I don't think anyone's uh, calling heresy here, but the, the objection of Rav Karelitz and, uh, and Rav Shapiro to this idea attributed to Rav Chaim is that Halacha is halacha. You, you can't abstract away the Torah to such a broad extent that it means something entirely different from what it actually says. If the Torah says Amalek, Amalek has a meaning. Amalek is a nation. We might be able to say drush and explain what was so bad about Amalek, but, um, but words have meanings. Amalek is, Amalek, Amalek is a concrete term. It refers to a specific nation. And we have no right. We have no right to start saying, to abstract and say it means people who behave in a certain in a certain irrational and fundamentally fundamentalist, absolutist, anti-Semitic way, we have no right to do that. Rav Basri says we can. He says it's a chiddush gadol, but, but he says it's not, uh, it's not out of the question. It, it is possible for someone like Rav Chaim to have felt that the Torah can be interpreted as giving you a mere example of a more general idea that anyone who behaves in, a, in an Amaleki fashion is considered Amalek for these halachas. And Rav Katz, uh, Rav Katz uh, is in between. He says, or he says, he says Rav Chaim was not really generalizing. Rav Chaim, was, Rav Chaim was just saying a rule that we're allowed to identify Amalekim, that the Torah tells us to identify Amalekim by the way they act. If they act in an Amaleki way, we assume that they are Amalek. The, it, that's less of a Chiddush conceptually, although it, uh, it, 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 does, it doesn't seem entirely uh, logical that that's really true, that every single person we can ever encounter who behaves like Amalek must be from Amalek. People have free will. People can decide to be monsters, inhuman monsters, even if they don't come from, uh, from Amalek, and presumably vice versa as well. So conceptually, maybe it's less of a Chiddush, but, but, but it does seem a little bit of a... It does seem a bit, it does seem somewhat of an implausible claim that this is such a reliable means of identification. I'll call upon him. This is what we have. We have this position attributed to Rav Chaim. Alternatively, Rav Salvechik attributed it to his father, Rav Moshe. We have some who rejected it entirely as a matter of halacha, Rav Karelitz, Rav Shapiro, and others who said 
This is, this is just simply not out of bounds as uh, a halachic reasoning. This is not the way the Torah works. We have no right to say such things. We have those who defended Rav Chaim, who said either that he, they admitted it was against the Pashas of the Rishonim, but they said that it was, uh, Rav Chaim felt it is legitimate to generalize the Torahs, to abstract and generalize the Torah's prohibition, the Torah's mitzvah, Machias Amalek, to extend to other nations that behave like Amalek. We have the curious sheet of Rav Katz, who said that Rav Chaim's position is based on the idea that we have the right to identify Amalek by diagnosing them based on their behavior. And there were others, apparently, who understood that the Rav Chaim's idea, of Salavechik's idea, wasn't meant in a rigorous halachic category. It wasn't meant in a, in a rigorous halachic sense. It was just meant in a, in a more general hashkafic sense that we, that we should view Germany as Amalek. On the other hand, as we've noted, there were those who insisted that Rav Salavechik's comments Rav Chaim's comments were intended in a halachic sense with regard to Rav Schechter's, Rav Schechter's report about Rav Salvechik's argument against reparations, that we can't take money from Amalek because that would violate the... We can't take reparations from Germany because that violates the prohibition of taking money from Amalek. And we have Rav Tendler who apparently said that Rav Salvechik meant it not to Rav Drush, as halacha. If he meant it as halacha, again, so that, that that's subject to the, to the great debate on how far can you bend and... Uh, interpret the words of the Torah before that becomes, as Rav Karelitz puts it, levados mitzvahs chadashos, the creation of entirely new mitzvahs.